into the area. Janček, stab through, chance, shot, goal! Full stop! Unbelievable scenes at the end for the derby! Hello and welcome to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian Football Club and the podcast that has now achieved something that Ali McCoyce could not. We've persuaded Ryan McGowan to join us. I am Laurie Dunsire, joined firstly by Mark Donaldson, who um, Ali McCoy didn't persuade to to come on the podcast. No, he, he didn't. But of all the intros you've done, some have been really shite, but that's one of your best. Congratulations. <laughs> I was going to say that. That was a good, well done. It's the best thing you've done in the 152 episodes. <laughs> oh, Jesus. You've, this is the first uh, time... <laughs> See, this is the first time you're on not as a guest, so you can't get away with that shit anymore. Oh, yes, he can. Hey, there'll be tag teams of me and him, there'll be tag teams you and him, there'll be tag teams you and me, and be like Itchy and Scratchy versus Tom or Jerry going forward. (laughs) Yeah, we're not all going to agree, are we? I mean, we spent a a lot of money to, to get McGowan. We paid him in, in Greek drachma and Turkish lira and Kuwaiti dirhams and tenants. That's that's what got us over the line. Paid him from my UBIG account. <clears throat> the money's coming. What's that? <laughs> that's, that's what all the money was when... Oh, it doesn't matter. Um, but yes, thank you for, for joining, Ryan. And you will, you, you're a regular now. Yes. Delighted. It's only taken 100 and old shows. But delighted to be on, delighted to uh, have a little insight and, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Is that a career highlight? It'd be up there. It would mm, be up there for right. sure. Between yeah. scoring against Hibs at Hamden and scoring against Hibs at Easter Road, somewhere in, in the middle. I'm sticking, yeah. sticking one in for Tim Cahill. Um, if it hadn't been for that cross, Cahill would never have scored at the World Cup. So I think, I think we're in the top also four true. along with those three. Yeah, there you go. Yep. I think, yeah, right, I always sure. think that was a clearance. I don't know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> Get up the park. Yes. <laughs> no, wow. It's, it's called a long pass. That's what it's called. Or vision. Some people call it vision. Some do. Gold, Some golden don't. vision, son. Golden vision. Yeah. Right. Anyway, God, the tangents are going to be terrible now. There's three of us. This, <laughs> this week, we will talk about uh, Ross County against Heart of Midlothian, the latest game. At the weekend, uh, we have got a guest coming on to join us very shortly, Charlotte Parker Smith of the Hearts women's team. She'll be coming on to chat about her career, uh, women's football, and the Hearts team. And we will also look ahead to the Hearts game this coming weekend at home to Livingston. And if we can find the time, we might just squeeze in some chat about an angry Hearts 11 following <laughs> last week's conversation. <laughs> Okay, first up, Heart of Midlothian travelled to Dingwall to face Ross County at the weekend. We were fairly confident slash optimistic, I would say, going into this game, uh, a Ross County team without a win at the start of the season. And I think interesting, first of all, well, I'll talk to you, Mark, first off. The first starts for Barry Mackay 
and Taylor Moore. First league start of the season for Armong Nongdwee. But the interesting thing was the system. Now, I know that you've had communication with uh, Mr. Nielsen about what he was playing at the weekend. So talk us through this because um, I've seen many people disagree on what the Hearts formation and system was up in Dingwall. It was two different formations. It was a formation with the ball and a formation without the ball. So they worked on that in, in training. Out of possession, it was a 4-4-1-1 is what they were working on. With possession, it was like a, a kind of 4-2-3-1. You know what? I've just actually looked the wrong way around. I've looked at yeah. the Ross County. There you go. I've got that <laughs> totally wrong. So oh my here God. we go. Oh, that's a see. It's the pressure of McGowan being on the show. I feel really nervous now that we've got someone people have actually heard of on the show. <laughs> right, out of possession, it was a four-one-four-one. Yep, because Hearts are the maroon team. Ah, got it. In possession, <laughs> it was more like a three-three-three-one with the left-sided defender pushed up. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it was different. And and Robbie today saying to the press that. He has these kind of two formations. His, his main one is the 3-4-3. The three, three. But when someone like Michael Smith gets injured, he was praising the player's adaptability for being able to, to, to certainly take on board a different system. However, did it work? Did we have enough protection for those at the back? Discuss. Well, I want to get Ryan's thoughts from a, a player's perspective. Now, my... My concerns with how this was working is I felt it, it appeared a little bit lopsided, more than a little bit, with obviously Kingsley being the the person in the back four who moved up into wing back and then Taylor Moore um, turning into a central defender. And it, it just seemed to leave a little bit of a gap between Taylor Moore and Barry Mackay, Barry Mackay being an attacking player. I, I wasn't quite sure, and I felt it affected the games of the likes of Halkett, who's been very solid this season, suited a little bit. I think even Craig Gordon was a little bit iffy at times. Ryan, from your perspective, I know you didn't get to see all the game with your footballing commitments, but as a player, I'm sure you've played in a back two centre central defenders, you've played in um, a back three. Have you had much experience of it switching like that in the game from a three to a four? And, and how does that work? And how important is sort of continuity of shape in the defensive areas yeah it's obviously massively important I don't, I don't I'm trying to think I don't think I've ever played a game where it was so two different formations in and out of possession mm-hmm. um, uh, we've I've definitely played in teams where you prefer to tack down one side especially um, sort of national team level if I played it right back it was always kind of seen as I was almost the third center back and would the left back could attack more, but it was still a four. Um, And I just think sometimes there was a stat, I can't name off the top of my head, but so many goals are scored in transition. And I just feel that if you are, once you lose the ball, if you're then trying to get into a totally different position, you know, like you said, you you can just leave a lot of spaces open and it it just happens so quickly that, you know, you win possession and then you're like, all right, okay, I need to get to left wing back. And then that pass doesn't go through and you're like, well, I'm now back to, left back whereas sometimes if it's just more of a listen we'll play a four but you have more license to go when he does go you just shuffle across I think that's maybe a little bit easier than going from a three to a four to a wing backs to a, you know that sort of 
different goes because in training sometimes it's good because you work on it and then if you lose the ball nine times out of ten the coach says stop and you go back into your positions and you start again and then you work on it again when you're actually or when the other team gets the ball so you're all sort of set up but in a game situation that doesn't happen you don't know when you're going to lose the ball and mm-hmm. um yeah it's probably something that needs to to play a little bit more and um yeah like robbie says you you want to be ad- adaptable in terms of of how you play but i'm not too sure how i'm just trying to think if i was more playing right back and then you're you know you've got the ball so you slide in a little bit more to make the right of the back three and then when you lose it do you, do you sprint out to your position as a as a right you know it's two totally different positions that you're, yeah. you're trying to pick up on and um yeah it's just tricky you know as a midfielder um, especially at Sydney, you know, they, they have a structure of they've played sort of the same way for five or six years. So you could almost play that if you won the ball, you knew exactly where everyone was. So you can kind of not play a blind pass, but you can play it into an area where you know someone should be. Whereas mm-hmm. I feel like at the weekend, they wouldn't have had that because they would maybe be thinking, we've just won the ball back. So that means that Kingsley's at left back. So then he has to get a couple of seconds to get out to the wing back. So if you just switched it out to the left wing back, he wouldn't be in that position. And that's probably where, you know, possibly it looked like it started slowing down because you'd have to take those extra touches for everyone to get into position once you've actually won the ball. It was one of these, Mark, where I think there's been some frustration from Hearts fans this season. And we've expressed a little bit of it as well about the fact that we've been quite solid, but fairly rigid. And maybe at times in games, we've not had enough about the formation in an attacking sense from wide areas, especially to to try and change the game or force the issue. Um, I heard on the Perth to Paisley podcast, someone said it was almost like Robbie Nielsen just said, well, you know what? Fuck it. Here we go. Here's all the attacking players. Let's see what happens. <laughs> and of course, that's not, it's not as simple as that. But it was very much a case of, wow, we've we've got Ben Woodburn on there. We've got Barry Mackay on there. We've got Gary McKay, Stephen Azarmo, Nongdwee, there's Liam Boyce, have we got any attacking players left? And it certainly showed in um, the forward areas, I thought we were more expansive and more threatening in that first half, despite the fact we went in behind 2-1, we probably could have scored four goals ourselves. Mm-hmm. But at the other end, we were as open defensively, yeah. I think, as as we have been. So it's, it's a difficult one. It's like, what do we choose? <laughs> Somewhere in between. I think at the start of the season, we were talking about seven defensive players, like the three centre-backs and the four across the middle of the park were, were kind of perceived as, as more defensive players and then the three attackers. And we were looking for something more, kind of five, six or four, seven. Um, we, we kind of got a, a five, six or a four, seven in that. Uh, but it, it was the goals we conceded, I thought were shitty goals that they yeah. scored. I didn't feel they had to work particularly hard. And I, I know Ryan would have seen the concession of the first goal. I'm not sure if you saw the concession of the second goal just before mm-hmm. half time. And and it was so frustrating to lose it because we, we're a better side than them and we had the chances. But again, it's a work in progress. I don't want to get too down on, on this as well. And I think it's easy to to kind of rewrite history and say, oh, I can't believe we dropped two points at, at Ross County. And if we'd got those two points, we would have been top of the table. Yeah, but you've got to put everything into context. Hibs were two on up. They dropped two points because they drew two all. And then on Sunday, I mean, Celtic ended up dropping three points when most people thought they would have win. And Rangers ended up dropping two points as well. So, I mean, the only teams that really made ground at the weekend were St. Johnston, Dundee United and, and Livingston. So I still think on a broader picture, the start to the season we've had, the games that we have played, I think we've had a much harder start than Hibs have had. 
Yeah. Hibs have got a lot harder games to come, and we find ourselves in a in a decent position. So, no, I'm not panicking. It's just one of those we could have easily won that, but I am concerned at how easy it was for them to score their goals. Definitely, yeah. I mean, Liam Boyce opened the scoring. Blair Spittle responding almost instantly after good work from from Jordan White at the edge of the box. Very open first half, but Reagan Charles Cook with his good work on the left hand side to cut it back to Blair Spittle to score again. Um, I, I think one of the big things I, I think is good to see with this team is the um, character because, yeah. you know, 2 1 down at half time in, in Hearts teams, maybe in recent seasons, could easily see them, despite the fact that they had been the better side and probably sh- should have been at least level, if not ahead. They dominated that second half, maybe not as it was as, as open a game, but they had control of it they got the leveler and to be honest when Kingsley leveled with the free kick which was an absolute cracker of a free kick mm-hmm. um, it did feel like there'd only be one winner um, yeah so I, I think you've got to take some confidence from that that this team still came out for that second half with a point to prove and you know you look at the end I mean 63% possession away from home 17 attempts I, I know they're only stats but I think that was a fair reflection of how Hearts played that game yeah just just tighten things up and and Robbie will know that. He'll, he'll work on things in, in training this week to, to know that when they lose the ball, we're not as open as we were. Um, I think it reminded me a little bit, we played Hamilton in, in one of the games um, before we got relegated, and it was mm-hmm. a must-win game, and we were 2-0 down. Even at 2-0 down, I don't know why, that was the season where we thought we should just be winning games because we were hearts, and we didn't realise that we were actually quite shit and didn't <laughs> have that um, camaraderie among the the squad, but even at 2 0 down, you kind of thought, Yeah, we, we can still win this one because we had to. And at 2 1 down, it was annoying to concede when we did, um, but I still thought we, we can win this and we will win this. And, and we, we didn't get the break of the ball towards the end. What I will say, I felt sorry for you in commentary because I hate it when what happened to you happens in a, in a commentary when you're not at the game, especially when a player doesn't celebrate and you weren't <laughs> the only one. I could easily have gone on, on, on our message, our WhatsApp group chat with the three of us and, and kind of had to go. No danger. I, I've done that before. It is horrible when you don't think it's a goal. You think it's side netting and the ball's in the back of the net and you're like, oh, it's in. It's so difficult, isn't it? <laughs> yes, because <laughs> I've got no sound in the studio. Um, yeah. And Liam Boyce decides he's not going to celebrate. And it the, the, it's a very low camera. So uh, I've, I've made my share of... Of um of errors down the years, but I did feel there was extenuating circumstances <laughs> yes. to that one. Players should was be allowed it, to not celebrate. They need to gallop well, away madly like Ryan does. Well, I'm th- I'm thinking now with all the clubs that McGowan has played for, if he was not to celebrate if he scored <laughs> against a former club, you wouldn't have many celebrations, really? McGowan. Uh, exactly. I wouldn't. I'd be, I don't score enough. That's my excuse. When I, if I score my next goal, I score. I'll just do a nice, cool, calm celebration but I doubt that that will happen but yeah I, I sometimes I've seen a little bit of a debate on that I, I think it was Jesse Lingard um, that celebrates but I actually don't mind it I think it just shows you a little bit of respect depending on the circumstances I, I know some players do it but if you've gone to a club and, and been well and um, you know done well I don't think you see anything wrong in um, you know just kind of keeping it low key and yeah, it's just showing that little bit of respect for not so much the fans as such. I think fans forget that players have connections within the club, you know, and you don't want to be hurting those sort of people that 
in the club and that helped you while you were there. So I think Boyce did the right thing in, in not celebrating and it, it gave us a good laugh to, to slaughter Laurie for, for not doing his job properly and not seeing that the ball hit the actual back of the net. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thanks for that. Um, one player I want to quickly touch upon before we move on, uh, it was Cammy Devlin who came on in the second half. Uh, I know Ryan wasn't able to to see his pal's debut, but Mark, what did you think? I, I think he actually helped affect the game in a very positive manner. Love them. Um, love the energy. Uh, we'll see when the going gets tough and, and it's a backs to the wall. And however many other kind of football phraseologies I can get into one sentence, what he's, <laughs> what he's made of. But one of the things that, because Ryan was the first one to bring him up to us many months ago. And, and one of the words that the adjectives that was always used to describe him was energetic. And I think we saw that. And I don't know about you, Ryan. I, I, I think he, he'll probably start this weekend. I think he'll make his first start against Levy at home, would you reckon? Yeah, I think so. I think it, he just brings, like I said, energy. And that. And I think sometimes people can be like, oh, well, what's energy? It's not until you actually see what he can provide on the pitch. It, it gives everyone also a little bit extra legs. It's someone that's willing to get onto the ball. Um, and maybe that's what they were sort of missing in that possession in terms of going from a back three to a four is someone getting the ball and playing a couple of little passes everyone's then set in their positions then you can go and attack whereas um, especially in the first half I felt that if the players were on it they maybe weren't so comfortable in possession as Cammy was and yeah I think he would definitely he'll be a, a player in the coming weeks that we'll speak about and, and talk, talk highly about Okay, this week on Scarves Around the Funnel, we are delighted to be joined uh, by a guest from the Hearts women's team. We are joined this week by Charlotte Parker-Smith. How are you doing, Charlotte? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Um, Yeah, thanks for having me. Pleased to have you on, someone who was named in the Scottish women's football team of the season last year, I believe, and winner of save of the season as well. So, by that, we can certainly um, tell everyone that you are a goalkeeper, Hearts number one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So we'll go through a few things about yourself and career and, and see where we go with this. But I guess first off, how did, did you get into football? Obviously, till very recently, the women's game has not had much coverage, not too many options um, for, for I guess, the likes of yourself to, to find that pathway. How did you first get into this side of things? Um, so, so when I was growing up, my, my older brother played football. Uh, he was a goalkeeper as well, actually. And I just played in the garden with him. And I think I was about 10 or 11 when um, there was a girl in my class at primary school who played for a team and her dad was a coach, as is the usual way. And yeah, I just heard about it and I wanted to play. You know, I played in the garden and enjoyed it. And yeah, I wanted to join a team. And uh, so I joined a local team uh, under 13s and just played from there I I was putting goals in a training session like very very early on they must have thought I was didn't look like an outfield player <laughs> so I, I yeah I've been a goalkeeper ever since um since I started when I was was 11. How did your uh, your move to hearts come about and sort of how did your career um take you to that point and I suppose when you were younger and when you were looking to join a team um, did you have aspirations of of playing, I, su- I suppose, regularly and at this level? I think when I was, you know, 11 or that sort of age, I, I didn't really know much about the women's game. I didn't know 
anything about what teams there were um, in Scotland or even in like my local area. There, there just wasn't the publicity that there is now. So I didn't really have aspirations, I would say, to be honest. Um, I just, you know, when you're when you're a kid, you just enjoy playing, playing with your friends and stuff. So I didn't really um, think think too much about you know, what I aspired to be uh, when I was older in terms of football. Um, I moved to Edinburgh um, from from Dundee when I was 18 to go to university and I played for a couple of clubs, um, including Edinburgh University. Um, and then, yeah, I joined Hearts um, about three, three and a bit years ago. In terms of, I guess, your career in addition to playing football, uh, I believe you're a lawyer by trade. Yeah, that's right. I, I just qualified as a as a solicitor. Yeah. And how do you find the balance of that then? Because obviously, when you're playing at sort of this level for Hearts, if you're a footballer, you're lucky enough that that's your your sole focus. But you do still have to manage regular training sessions through the week as well as a match day. How does that work then between having to have a full time career as well as your football career? Yeah, it's difficult. Um, you know, I, th- I think I kind of. Um, got used to that when I was at university because studying law is is quite hard. It's quite intense, um, and you know I I was still enjoying football and I wanted to play for a club, but I also wanted to play university football. So I balanced the two of them and my studies, and kind of just got into the way of it that way. And I'm lucky now that unlike some other areas or industries, like my job is. You know, I don't work unsociable hours or anything. It's mm-hmm. it's pretty much nine to five or nine to six each each day, um, which allows me to then go and train in the evenings. And and obviously, I don't I don't tend to to work at the weekend, so I can always play in in matches. So it, it actually it isn't it isn't too bad. But I'll need to see as I as I go on through my career. You know, it might it might get a bit more difficult. Charlotte, when you started playing. Um, as a, as a kid, can you compare the awareness of of women's football in Scotland then to the awareness of it now, where most people are now aware of the teams and of the players because the links between the teams at the club, the men's team and the women's team at Hearts and at many others, are so much stronger than than they used to be. How's it changed um, for you? I think it's changed massively. You know, you know, I go into training. At- at hearts and you can see the younger girls and younger boys training and if I you know I, I when I was 11 and I was training I never I never saw a, a first team walking past to go to their training or I never saw them on the on the pitch next to us training it's totally different um, and in terms of like the women's game generally I remember when I was you know younger my club would be given free tickets to go and go and watch Scotland women for example and the game would be at McDermott Park in Perth for example there wouldn't be you know, huge amounts of people watching, and now, you know, Scotland are playing in in the in the World Cup, and there's thousands of people going over to France to watch them. It, it's just the growth in in the game has just been huge. Um, and and a couple of weeks back, actually, I was at um, a Hearts um, community coaching day for for younger girls. They were all about under nines, maybe. There's about 200 of them, and me and uh, Marielle, who's who's the captain of the women's the women's team, we were there, and one of the younger girls was was saying, 
that she wanted to be a professional footballer when she was older. And when I was that age, that just wasn't within the realms of possibility because I, I never saw it. I never saw professional women's teams. I never switched on my TV and saw women's football. So it's brilliant that now younger girls are, are seeing that and, you know, can aspire to, to do these things. Over here, the, the women's team are, are so successful. Um, number one in the world, four times World Cup champions, including the last two. When they're talking over here about American soccer and the U.S. team, they don't just say, oh, the U.S. team has done this. It's the U.S. men's team or the U.S. women's team. Because the U.S. women's team is, is more successful and probably have, have players that are better known in this country that are still playing in here. Do you think it could get to the stage in, in Scotland whereby the players that play for the, the women's national team are just as well known, hopefully, as the men who play for the national team? Yeah, I, I certainly hope so. I think it is going that way in terms of uh, the growth in the game and the publicity and more visibility in terms of telev it's on television and, and things like that. Yeah, I, 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 re I really hope so. Um, I really hope it gets to, to that point. And I hope that, I know, I, you know, when people think of football or a footballer, they think of, of male footballers and male teams. But um, I'm hoping like, like you say, in the US, it, it can come to a point where it's a it's universal and that women's footballers are recognised in, in the same way as men's players are. Even in Australia, it's um, like what Mark said, the, the women's team in Australia is massive. We've got Sam Kerr, who, who plays at Chelsea, and she's um, probably one of the best players in the world. So it's definitely a, a much-growing game and, and one that, you know, even, uh, like I said, Australia's hosting the World Cup. Is that something that you have aspirations to, is, is making the, the World Cup in Australia in a couple of years' time? Uh, prob probably not as a, as a player playing in it, um, but uh, a few friends uh, of mine, we, we went to the World Cup in France. We're hoping to probably go and watch it. Um, if um, Hopefully Scotland, Scotland get there. Yeah, it was a big win in, in the week, 4,500 people. At Hamden Park, it was a 7-1 victory for Scotland against the Faroe Islands. Um, in terms of, of Hearts, I know December 2018, Hearts agreed to a six-figure investment in the women's team and ongoing investment as well. Um, have you noticed, I mean, you've been with the, the team for a couple of years. When was it you joined exactly again? Uh, it would have been about January of uh, 2019. Yeah, so just after that, because I knew you were there for the season, they got promoted. So have yeah. you seen a lot of progress? Because I know you, you're, so your first season at the club, they would have won the second tier. And yeah. then I know your second season got curtailed very early on and then they had to change the schedule slightly. But in that sort of almost two-year period, what sort of progress have you seen at Hearts in terms of the women's team? Yeah, I think... It's just it just feels like a more professional environment. It's in terms of the the facilities that we use um, at Orium and and um, you know having a team of coaching staff. I, I think now our our first you know our head coach is is full time. It's full time position. So I think in terms of that, that you know giving us the staff that can invest their whole time or a large part of their time into into coaching us and and yeah just making it more more of a professional feeling environment um is probably been the biggest change that that I've seen 
you mentioned the, the coach. So uh, we got a tweet from HM Fox Foxtrot Charlie, who says, how has uh, Ava Oled improved things so far? Yeah, so Ava came in a few weeks ago, um, just before our league season started. And um, so far, I think I've already seen differences in, in how we play. Um, she she wants us to be more like attacking, attacking-minded. Um, I think in the past, we might have... Um, you know, tried to play it maybe a little bit more safe or keeping possession, but you know, we're going forward, we're taking risks. I think a bit more and and being more attacking. And in the last couple of games, or you know, in terms of the chances we created, it's been so much more than previous games. So she's definitely brought that to to our game. Right, Charlotte. That's the softball questions out of the way. Time to have a little bit of fun. Who are the rascals in the squad? Who are the Ryan McGowan's? Of your squad, those that are just menaces, and you just you can't live with them, and you can't live without them. <laughs> oh, uh, I think uh, one of my teammates, uh, Leah Tweedy, she's she's uh, a character, you know, on the pitch. She's she's loud. She goes for it, even in training. Like if a cross comes in, I'm worried she's going to just go through me, and I'll go through her as well. So um, she's yeah, Stephen Naismith. Is what I was thinking when I was watching. Um, I was watching your game the other week against Hamilton. She kind of reminded me a bit of Stephen Nesmith. She was just shouting and moaning at everything. Yeah, yeah, she- but no, nah, we we need we need we need that. Like it's 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 good, and she, she is funny. That'll be the former Hibernian striker Leah Tweedy. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. <laughs> what was that like when she walked in the first time, and you were like, "Okay, fine, where well, you've come from, Hibs, right? Okay." Did she <laughs> did she get ribbing, or given the fact you've just compared her to Ryan McGowan, did she give as good as she got? <laughs> no, no, no one really gave her any stick for that, to be honest. Um, what? Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think, I don't remember seeing anyone or hearing anyone give her any stick. I think she's a big, I think she grew up a Hearts fan. I think she's a big Hearts fan, so. She probably had to keep that quiet when she was at Hibs. McGowan, how how tough how tough is it to walk into a dressing room when I mean, I don't know, you've got this personality that is is I assume it's good to be around and, and you're one of the, the the fun players in the in the dressing room. Do you have to try a little bit harder, Ryan? Because you've you've had more clubs than Tiger Woods. So what's it like when it's <laughs> done that and you changing him? Hey. Uh yeah, it's obviously daunting at the start because you know, first impressions last the longest and, you you know, you're trying to sort of work out even little silly things like where everyone sits on the bus or where they sit in the change rooms. So, yeah, you just need to sort of, sort of slowly find your feet. And then, you know, nine times out of ten, most of the dressing rooms that I've been involved in have, have pretty, been pretty good and pretty welcoming. So, it's, um, yeah, it's a little bit tricky. I've never gone from direct one rival to the other, but um, you never know. I've still got a couple more years left. <laughs> I could make that switch, but... um. <laughs> Yeah, I was just more interested in, in what's your general week, you know, in terms of training and, and like you said, juggling work. Is it sort of three nights a week and, and just working during the day with the, the games at the weekend? Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, we train three three nights during the week, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. And uh, we'll be in, so we'll be in for quite a while in terms of like, we'll go in and we'll do video analysis from the, the game on a, on the previous Sunday and then we'll, uh, go into the gym and then uh, out on the pitch and we'll do that. Um, so, yeah, I work usually nine, nine to five and then often if it's training at six or even earlier, it's straight, straight out, straight out the door. And, yeah, we're until usually about half eight and then 
yeah, off obviously train on a Friday and then Saturday just chill out and then game game on a Sunday. Last week we had Jamie McDonald on the show and, and it didn't take him long before he got into the goalkeepers' union and how they never criticise. And I'm not going to ask you to, to criticise because that's unfair. I want to ask you about Ailey and Lisa, the two other goalkeepers in the Hearts women's squad and the yeah. help that they can be. And, and when you've got two girls or two players in whichever, whichever team pushing you, does that make you get better and help you when you've got that competition? Yeah, massively. Um I think recently um, Ailey, Ailey was out injured and, you know, just in pre-season, Ailey was injured and I think Lisa had uh, Scotland camps and um, I just felt like in training, I, I'm so much better in training when they're around, when it's just me, I'm, I, I, you know, try my best and I go for it, but just the level of intensity is just so much different when there's other keepers there, you know, you encourage each other, but you also, like, you know, want to train really well and impress, so... Um, no, we've got a really good um, group at, at Hearts in terms of goalkeepers and our, our goalkeeper coach. And yeah, we just push each other and uh, but enjoy ourselves and, and get along, get along well as well. We got a tweet from Leslie Johnston who asked if you ever train with Scotland number one. And um, I'm guessing she's maybe referring to the men's team because... Of course, Craig Gordon is uh, your your other heart's number one. And I know you were presented with the Scottish women's football save of the season by Craig Gordon. Uh, is he someone that um, you know you look at, obviously, across from you in, in some ways at the at the club and think that's someone you can learn from even just by watching him? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think me and a few teammates went to, to watch the, the Aberdeen game at, at Tynecastle. It was like a sellout crowd and... Um, yeah, I was watching him, see what he does, and you know his positioning and things like that. I try and do that generally with when I'm watching other goalkeepers. But yeah, he's yeah he's awesome. He's really really good. I think you know the games recently just speak for themselves. It's just brilliant, makes brilliant saves at, at really important moments, and someone I definitely look up to. I think in the 152 episodes or whatever it is, Laurie, of, of doing this show, this is the longest we've ever gone without swearing. So it's time to change that. <laughs> um, not not with us just throwing a gratuitous um, sweary word in, but from a tweet from Grant Haddon. Are female goalkeepers as batshit crazy as the majority of male goalkeepers, Charlotte? Uh, I, th I think to be a goalkeeper generally, you need to be a bit crazy, you know, just throw yourself around and, and that, but... Yeah, possibly. Maybe maybe a little bit less less so than the male goalkeepers. Got to be an example or something, is there not, of uh, going above and beyond an element of craziness at training or, or during a game? You ever done anything daft that you've later thought, ooh, that, was, uh, that wasn't ideal? Uh, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, to be honest. Not sure. I did. I'd, I'd, I was playing. It wasn't football, but I was playing rounders recently with a group of friends and I've absolutely thrown myself to catch a ball full stretch and yeah to be fair I caught it and it was great but <laughs> just doing stuff like that a non-goalkeeper probably wouldn't bother <laughs> I, I was going to mention because we're we're talking about um angry players last week and when we talk about angry players when it comes to the men's game it it's very easy to reel off many of them <laughs> Craig Gordon was actually featured in this apparently he gets very annoyed especially if Ryan McGowan tries to chip him in training um, but one thing I noticed from I've been to see the women's team a, a couple of times you, you're all far too nice especially to the referee and opponents <laughs> it, 
do you do you have any angry teammates who who get worked up on the pitch, or was that just a game where people? It was just a bad example of a game. I was at. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. There, there are some, and obviously everyone just has their moments. Our team, our team's quite young, and I think sometimes you know, like some of the girls maybe don't have the the confidence to just just let it all out or to you know shout at other other people and and things, but. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I just I just noticed yeah. it because you go to a men's game and we noticed it last season, especially when there was no crowd. It's just shouting, just constantly shouting each other, teammates, referee themselves. It's, yeah. uh, maybe the women are just more professional. I don't know. I think it's also just, uh, I don't know, it's just who you're playing with. Like I, I know like one of my teammates, if I absolutely shout at them for doing something that they know they've done wrong, it doesn't necessarily help them. Maybe shouting at like the referees is different, but you, I don't know. With the referees, like you just know you're probably going to get booked, so they probably won't change their minds. It's a decent point. I mean, Ryan, Ryan probably shouts at all his teammates these days, do you? They don't understand me, so I can get away with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and normally, you just shout at the referee when you've made a mistake, so it puts a little bit of pressure off you. Um, but just a, a point in terms of um, you know comparing sort of the men's and women's team. Is there anything that you think as a player that the the club or the men's team could do to to promote the game? Um, again, sort of touching back in Australia, we do like a lot of double headers with the with the women's league. So they will maybe play either before um, the men's game or after the men's game. So it allows more fans to you know if they're they're early, they can catch the women's game or it pretty much kicks off as soon as the men's finished. Is that something that, you know, moving forward, you'd like to see Hearts trying to do? Yeah, I think that's a good idea, actually. I have heard of that before um, in Australia, that, that they do that. And I think I think that is a good idea because it, I think sometimes fans, if they don't know it's on, they won't maybe engage with it. But if yeah. you put it on at the stadium, you know, just before the, the men's game or just after or something like, like that, they'll they'll see it they'll notice it a bit more or they'll maybe make that extra effort to you know go go yeah. turn up a bit early and, and watch watch the women's side and see what it's like so yeah i, I think yeah, that that's yeah, definitely even thing, even sort of from a, a corporate point of view or, or different things that you know i knew when we had a um you know sort of big games we used to do they had a big blue that they called it so it was almost like hearts and hips and it would be um both team uh both men's and women's were playing hips, so it allowed the fans to either you know, get to the game earlier or stay afterwards, and you're almost getting that sort of two games for the price of one. And um, you know, we noticed that it was a lot more younger girls and, and you know families that were coming to that game mainly so, solely to sort of watch the women's team. And then if they wanted to hang around, they could watch us. And I think that's you know sort of an idea to go towards Scotland in terms of you know just getting like you said more and more people um, watching the game and. You know, if they like it, then they'll they'll follow up, and it just starts that whole sort of capturing of fans that maybe wouldn't go to a women's game. We previously had a guest on the show, uh, Charlotte Bruce Strachan, who actually directed uh, a play. I think you're aware of Sweet FA, which was being held at Tynecastle during the, the festival months. The story of a women's factory team during World War One, fictional team but inspired by real events and the true story of how women's football ended up being banned for half a century and actually more so in Scotland um something like that now for me it was I found it quite eye-opening quite 
educational. I knew that women's football had been banned for a period. I didn't know much about the details. Was that something that um, f- was that something you'd known much about as a women's footballer? And, and how did you? F- what did that make you feel like? Kind of learning about all these these things from the past. Yeah, no, I I, I did go to see that that show, and I, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. And to be fair, I really didn't know a lot about women's foot you know the history of of women's football and I think I heard about uh, I was listening to a podcast actually about the history of of football and they they spoke about women's football and I yeah like you said um I knew there was a ban and and stuff I didn't know I didn't quite appreciate that it was 50 years you know from 1921 Mm -hmm. to 1971 or or, or whatever it was and and uh, I thought that the show was just brilliant and just mad to think that prior to, to the ban that these teams these women's teams were getting thousands and thousands of people watching them and, and nowadays if you know in Scotland thousands of people are watching a women's game it would be brilliant like absolutely exceptional um so yeah it, it's it's scary um you know how how oppressed that that women were but it's good that now that is being um shared so people actually appreciate the history of the game Mm-hmm. What needs to happen, Charlotte, going forward, so that the continuation of awareness in the uh, in the women's game in Scotland um, it continues along that kind of upwards trajectory? I think just continued investment in the game. You know, I think we've seen in recent years um, clubs like Hearts that have put investment into the women's side, and there's other teams in Scotland that have done the same and and have gone full time professional, for example. And that attracts players to to Scotland, and you know, to to come here and play here for clubs. I think I think it's just that increased investment, and and also things like like it being on the television. You know, I think um, Scottish women's football um, work with MG Alba, who run BBC Alba, and there's games on games on BBC Alba, or, or you know, highlight show on on BBC Scotland and things like that. I think it's just more of that. So um, I can't speak for Ryan and for for Lloyd, but I'm going to. And they don't really have a choice here because I'm on the Hearts website right now. I'm on the Charlotte Parker Smith page. Um, Your home kit is sponsored by the Merkiston Hearts Supporters Club, but your away kit is still available to sponsor. I propose now, Mr McGowan and Mr Dunsire, that Scarves Around the Funnel sponsors Charlotte's away kit, if it is still available, Charlotte. Yeah, I mean... Ryan earns, the big, <laughs> Ryan earns the big bucks in Q8, so, you know, if, if he's paying for yeah. it. <laughs> well, no, no, let's go. Go. As, long, as long as we get a free top at, with the signature at the end of the season. <laughs> that, well, I'm not, I'm not doing it otherwise, Charlotte. You, you've got to play your part in this. You've got, to, you've got to wear it with pride. You've got to save as many shots as you can. I know it's difficult to save, save a shot the season again. Out. Well, save the <laughs> yeah. season again, but it's difficult from a yard out where you used to score most of your goals, McGowan, um, for any goalkeeper to, to <laughs> stop that. But if it's still available, Charlotte, um, we will sponsor it. Scarves Around the Funnel will sponsor it in return for your kit, uh, your uh, your jersey at the end of the season. How about that? Is that a deal? Yeah, that's a deal. That'd be awesome. There we Do go. It. Let's start this investment in Scottish uh, Scottish yeah. football, the women's Definitely. game. So yeah. we, we that can be our first foray into sponsorship, Dunsire. It's only taken us 152 episodes. Our first foray yeah. was meant to be receiving sponsorship, Mark. You've got this the oh, wrong way around. God, now, so, now we've right. got a lawyer. Now we've got a lawyer yes. on board, we're flying. Right, and we've got a famous person, McGowan, who's, who's, um, who was late for his first day um, on the job today, but we'll forgive you for that. So Charlotte we've got understands. a famous person, 
Charlotte well, understands yeah. juggling two jobs at once. You know, it's difficult. Oh, okay. Sometimes you can't always be. <laughs> oh, are, are we? Are we going time. down that road? Are we? There you go, Charlotte. So, um, scarves around the funnel. Uh, we'll get in touch with uh, with the club, and we will uh, we will sponsor that. McGowan, Donaldson, and Dunsire um, will be your away kit sponsor if still available. There you go. Sounds cool. good. We'll sort it. Um, having a look at the um, at Hearts, I, I know the twenty twenty season was interrupted by. Um, the pandemic subsequently declared null and void. Um, I know that then resumed with no relegation. So it was a very tough season. Last campaign for Hearts, first season up. Uh, what are the sort of short-term and then long-term plans at the moment? Has that been discussed with Ava or, or anyone else in terms of management at the club? Because obviously you've highlighted there are some professional teams. Hearts are still a little bit behind some of those more established women's teams? Yeah, um, I mean, I'm not sure from the club's perspective in terms of investment into the women's side what, what the plans are. Um, but, you know, we spoke as a team, you know, Ava asked us um, what what we think our objectives should be or what we saw them to be. And, you know, I think rather than having hard and fast targets, it was more just to play consistently well and, and, you know, take on board what we're being coached. And at the end of last, as you said, last season was tough, but towards the end of the season, we, we started to find our form a, a little bit and um, our performances were just improving um, quite a lot, actually. Um, and we were just, we're just hoping to kind of carry that into the season. And um, as I say, Ava's been more, attacking minded and it's bringing that into our game and trying to you know balance all of our all of our strengths and and add that as well so looking ahead you've got a big game against rangers this weekend that's at the orium on sunday that's against a team that are professional that narrowly missed out on the title last season and then a big game at easter road next wednesday the derby uh, tickets are free for that easter road game um and the tickets are available i think still on the hearts website for the game at the Orium. There was a good crowd at the, the Hamilton game, a sellout at the Orium. Obviously, now we're going to try and persuade people who are listening to get along to, to these games. How how big a help is that for you and your teammates if if you run out at the Orium uh, or when you run out to Easter Road next week, if there's a big heart support there supporting your team? Yeah, it's, it's great. And I think, obviously, because of the pandemic, when we did play, it was you know behind closed doors there was there was no one there and so even more so now we really feel when there's a crowd there you know you really notice it um mm-hmm. and that's that as i say that, that, that hamilton game was was really really good um i know there was a lot of young fans watching as well cuz the the community uh hearts community had had done that that coaching that coaching day in the morning and a lot of the girls got free free tickets to the to the game but no, you certainly feel and, and hear the crowd, especially when they, they really engage in the game. And at Orium, you know, the, the stand is so close to the pitch as well. So so you definitely hear it. Yeah, that Hamilton game, I think you faced three penalties in the end yeah. and, and managed yeah. to save two of them. Would you see yourself as a penalty kick expert now after saving a few of them? I, I heard, I think, Chris, who, who works uh, the media side of things for the women's team, I think he told me you've saved quite a few now. Yeah, I don't know. I think over the years, um, particularly when I played for my university team as well, I, people just seemed to think I was very good at penalties. Um, 
But I don't know. I I feel like with penalties, there's not really an ex- expectation. But now if I get this reputation <laughs> that I'm good at them, there maybe is. But yeah, I, I don't feel any pressure with penalties. I just kind of go for it and see what happens. But I think it's I think it's a, a lot of luck <laughs> involved. So what do you hope to to achieve in the rest of your career? You're still won't give away won't give away your age and everything that um but you're still fairly young for a footballer especially a goalkeeper um do women's goalkeepers tend to try and play as long as uh, as the men i know craig gordon's talked about um uh, buffon playing until he's 43 at the moment do you think you've still got a good 15 20 years left in you well, I'll need, I'll need to see hopefully if i stay injury free for as long as possible I'll see how i go but uh yeah a lot of um I think a lot of women's goalkeepers um, down south, for example, are you know a bit bit older into their thirties and things like that. So um, yeah, I'll play you know as as long as I can. I, I always aspired to play in the SWPL one, and obviously now now I do. So I'm hoping to play this level of football um, at least uh, as as long as I can. Here's a tricky question: If you were offered a, a full time sort of club, or if Hearts went full time. Would that be something that you would seriously consider or is that just because everything so far has been part-time that you're just pretty happy with the the lawyer by day, footballer by night type thing? Uh, I probably would um, seriously consider it, yeah, because I think if I didn't later down the line when I'm older, I'd probably just regret, you know, why why didn't I do that? You know, I'm qualified, you know, in terms of of being a a lawyer, I'm, I'm qualified now, you know, I can... If I wanted to take some time out, I I can come back into the profession, and I will not be able to play football for you know forever. But you know I'll be able to to be in the legal profession for you know when I'm older. So I would definitely seriously sort of consider consider that as an option if it if it were open to me. I bet Ryan wishes he's he had that option. Oh, I wish I'd uh, the amount of times I need a lawyer at this moment. Well, I wish I stayed oh. at school. Oh, you, you want to elaborate? A solicitor as well, yeah. A solicitor as well. I wouldn't, wouldn't mind one of them. <laughs> um, so I could be contacting wow. you after this show just to uh, to run a few ideas past you. <laughs> this escalated quickly. <laughs> um, thank you for joining, Charlotte. So just to reiterate, we've got um, the Hearts uh, women's team playing on Sunday at 2 o'clock at the Orium. You can get tickets via the Hearts website. Um, if you go in there, heartsfc.co.uk and go to the women's team section. And there's the big derby next week. That's Wednesday the 29th at Easter Road. That's a 7 o'clock kickoff. How are you feeling ahead of these two big games? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to them. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be tough, but um, hopefully it'll be good crowds at, at both games and yeah, we'll we'll go in. We'll we'll be confident and just see what happens. Also, sent an email, Natalie, to uh, Natalie Charlotte to Natalie Irons at the football club, who's involved with the player sponsorship. So Ryan's going to put together some dinars from from Kuwait. I'm going to get some dollars from the United States, and Ryan's going to get some pound notes. And we will be your new away kit sponsor if that is still available. So as long as the currency converter is still working from Romanov's time at the football club, then we should be fine. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get that sorted. Thank you for for joining us, Charlotte. It's been an absolute pleasure and good luck at the weekend. And of course, in the big derby next week as well. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Charlotte. Cheers. Thanks, Charlotte. Bye-bye. Okay, that was our interview with Charlotte Parker-Smith, Heart of Midlothian's uh, women's team's 
number one. And I think that was a very enjoyable chat, apart from when Mark decided to spend our money for us. What's wrong with that? We've got to, when, when Charlotte was talking about investment in the women's game, why not? It's going to start somewhere. Yeah. Very true. Very true. I think it was a yes. good gesture from you. Yeah. I'm, Lovely I'm gesture. Joking. What? I'm only spending a third of my money, though the other two thirds coming from you two. <laughs> yeah, you should let us know beforehand. But no, I, I, I'm I'm obviously jesting. It was a, a good gesture and it was great to hear from Charlotte. So we appreciate her taking the time to come on. And as we mentioned towards the end of that, if you want to get along to see the Hearts women's team, you can get tickets to all their home matches on the Hearts website. Moving on to something that we did mention briefly. Um, angry... Hearts players and angry 11. This came up last week with Jamie McDonald on the podcast and we've we've had a few tweets so let's see we haven't drawn up an angry 11 between us yet so we'll see what we can get from the tweets that we've received. Some of these players are individuals that Ryan will know better than Mark and I so hopefully we'll be able to give us some insight. So let's see what we've got. Um, Sydney Divine messaged now Oh, Sydney Divine. Sydney that Divine. takes me back. Do you remember that? <laughs> yes, I when do. When we thought it was the real Sydney Divine. Well, who you thought it was. I dead. didn't know who that was. Well, um, yeah. yeah. So at least we know it's not the real Sydney Divine now, it's unless not. it's from beyond the grave. It's not. But um, Sydney says, I remember seeing Jamie Hamill score a penalty for the under-20s against St Mirren at the Orium. The ball bounced out of the net and he picked it up and volleyed it miles over the big fence. <laughs> One of the submitting lads asked him, what the fuck did he do that for? And he said, I don't know. Does that sound like Jamie Hamill, Ryan? That's, that sounds like a daily occurrence in Jamie Hamill's training <laughs> sessions at Hearts. He would do things like, he would do things in training if you're playing two-touch or three-touch, and he, and he takes four touches, and the, obviously you have to change. He would just pick it up and just boot it up in the air. And just say, fucking shite, this is shite. It's a shite rule. Just kidding, and then you're like, all right, well, obviously, we need to get another ball now and, and start again. So, um, yeah, he's just a, but off the pitch, he's so quiet. Well, in different scenarios, he, he wouldn't come across as that, but he gets the, the white line fever. And, um, yeah, I, I think he did it in the, um, was it the quarterfinal or the uh, away to St. Johnson when he yeah. scored the penalty, yeah. remember? Yeah, someone he scored else the penalty later on. Yeah. But he again, like afterwards, I'm pretty sure everyone said, "What were you doing? Like you're just kicking the shit out of the advertising board." <laughs> He's like, "Yeah, I don't know why I did that. <laughs> I have no idea why I did that. It just seemed like the thing to do at the time." So, um, yeah, I think he's definitely in in the squad. Are we sticking with Craig Gordon and goals if we're trying to make an eleven? No. Well, well I, I, I want to put Henry Smith forward. Okay. Just because Henry. Henry, I know it's maybe a little bit before your time and, and obviously just before Ryan's time as well, but Henry was, he's a lovely guy off the pitch, very mild-mannered, but my God, he I've seen him shouting at, at Ked Whitaker, McPherson, Levine many times during games. So I wouldn't say I want him in, but I think he should be in, in consideration. Um, okay. Roddy McKenzie was, was another. I don't think Teppy Moylan is going to feature in an angry 11. Maybe a shite 11, but not an angry one. <laughs> well, that's another week. Um, let's see. what Odd Shape Balls message and says, no one to match Suso, the archetypal angry wee man. Oh, he was. Mm. Was yeah, he angry? How angry, Ryan? How angry? Very angry. It, he didn't speak English, but you could just tell he was angry. <laughs> <laughs> not fluent in Spanish, but I knew what he was saying was not 
um, appropriate. So he was, uh, he used to be pretty angry. Even the the derby when he scored, remember, it was an angry celebration because he didn't start. Um, Took his shirt off. At didn't Castle. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he used to be real huffy and um, yeah, he, he definitely couldn't hide if he wasn't, if he wasn't feeling it on that day. So yeah, kind I, of, I'm starting to think that everyone that I played with was I know, angry. I was just, I was going to say, we're pretty much just going to get an 11 Probably angry at me. 2011, 2012. I can imagine Suso, if someone created a cartoon from him, like just getting red in his head, like exploding, like above him. I don't know why. Um, so Suso, <laughs> Suso maybe makes it. Uh, Odd Shape Balls also said Drew Busby was a fairly angry man, but that's before my time. Before mine as well. I know, yeah, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, look, if, I, I take that, um, if someone messages and said this person was angry um, and they they watched them, I, again, I can only go with the ones that we've seen, but what a player Drew was for Hearts. Indeed. Let's see what else we've got. Nick Yule says, Eddie White always looked furious. He did, a, <laughs> he did have an angry face, didn't he? Um, Neil Poynton from memory also, says Nick. So that's two left-back options. I, was Neil Poynton angry? Um, I don't. I mean, I remember watching his uh, homemade video or DVD from the cup final in '98. I think Ryan, every player must have an element of anger in them. I mean, we're we're talking above yeah. and beyond, not just a kind of one-off, aren't we? Yeah, I think so. I think to sort of get to that level or to get to professional, you need to be. It's a pretty competitive industry, and um, yeah, I think everyone sort of has that that edge of. Uh, uh, I think we're probably looking for those ones that overstep it or are just overly aggressive for no yeah. real reason. Stop like rationalizing it, Mark. This was your homework. <laughs> <laughs> it's our rules. We can change them as we go along. Because uh, initially it was like grumpy and then it became angry and then whatever. I think Jamie Hamill's got to get the right back spot. Yeah. Um, I mean, you made oh, Ian Black captain last time as well, Ryan. Mm. Is that I think most people would agree with that. But, <laughs> or he, maybe not captain, but he would definitely be involved was it the season 2010 11 when he kept i think he had three or four red cards a few bad ones uh, um probably yeah he was then, yeah he was he was on the pitch again he was definitely um one that used to feel that he needed to do the the sort of bad tackle or set the tone it cut final um Lee when Griffiths he felt that one <laughs> when he yeah brushed past Lee Griffiths. um <laughs> Yeah, so he, he would probably be he'd he'd be one that if I was if I was coach I'd want in my team for for the aggression side of it. I think it's hard to to to, to come away with just the eleven. I mean, I've put together eleven in a it's not even a formation. Henry Smith, Jamie Hamill, I think Levine and Hogg, but that's for what that one incident at Wraith. I mean, Craig could be angry, Graham Hogg could be scary, Andy Webster was always moaning, and Neil Poynton who had a who could have a temper on him, but you've mm. also got Barasa, Nerius Barasa, and you've got uh, who are the other left backs. I mean, I'm sure that um, Tosh McKinley wasn't really a, a grouchy one, but could moan. Michael Stewart, Suso, Ali Mocklin, um, who used the Hibs player as a carpet at Easter Road, Ian Black, <laughs> and, and Stephen Naismith. So there's, there's plenty in there, but we could keep going on. Yeah, I've got. So Bruce Cormack wanted to make Andy Webster the captain, and we heard firsthand from Ryan last week how much um, Andy mm. Webster used to abuse him on the park. So yeah. that's probably a good one. Although here's another one. Jenny Jambos, and you will have, I think you crossed paths with him um, 
at your time at Hearts. I seem to recall Brad Mackay was known as Mr. Angry by his teammates when he was with yeah, he us. Was very, he was angry in training. Um, but a lot of boys <laughs> are just angry at, at, in training because um, you have that competitive, you know, you're maybe not playing or you got dropped at the weekend before or you had a bad game. So in training, there's, I could name a couple of squads that would would make that. I'm just trying to think of incidents on the pitch where you went, oh, yeah, that's... But like Naismith, Naismith's tackle on Brown, was it? At yeah, Pine yeah. Castle? yeah. That sort of pushing the line. Um, Stevenson, he had a he had a angry sort of almost borderline dirty streak in him. Um, yeah, Steve got suggested. Kyle Fitzpatrick said, surely... Stevenson gets in there, and I know I was thinking of a moment that I think we've mentioned before, um, which is the game at McDermott Park, the three-three match where Stevenson uh, loses it, and he ends up with the goalkeeper Alan Manis there head to head, and they both get sent off. And I think they're like confronting each other in the back of the net. Uh, so that probably that probably typical Stevo. Yeah, yeah, he was he was good, but also I think at that time he felt that he was a sort of. Ex- um, experienced one so you have to sort of look out for for all the boys but yeah like that if there was ever sort of an argument or a fight he would like to be involved in it so he's, he's definitely in the angry 11. A couple of players from a tweet from Grant Haddon uh, one I can understand Neil McCann because I've heard some stories from players at Dundee and various other things he could really lose it uh, I'm not sure if your your paths crossed Ryan but Neil McCann certainly could have an angry streak in him. But here's one for you, Dunsar. Jimmy Sanderson. Really? I've seen him um I've seen him almost get in a fight when we're out in the pub, but <laughs> I thought <laughs> He might uh, I think he'd be a happy drunk, would he not? Just uh, one like, I used to play for hats. Oh no. no. Oh what have I stumbled on? He's he's into his um he's into his uh is it boxer size? So I think he, I, th- I think you could see himself as a wee scrapper, but I don't know. I mean, I, don't, I think he's maybe a bit having, of a. You're not, having, you're not having Jimmy in this one. I think he's maybe a bit of an Ian Black. You know, maybe he's got a bit of the wee man syndrome. <laughs> I only, <laughs> only, only said that because I understand Ian Black didn't take too kindly to Mister Shabba Laszlo referencing his height. <laughs> Is that true uh, or not, Ryan? That's true. That's true. When it. Because I obviously forgot his name. Uh, We guy, we guy, (laughs) little guy, come here. And he was just, everyone was sniggering, and Blackie just knew that he was never going to live that down. He just sort of wandered (laughs) off. So, fuck, fuck, does he think he is? Little guy. That's what call me, little guy. Well, that's got a point, to be fair. (laughs) Yeah, that that certainly didn't um, register well with Blackie. Are, are, are we having Craig Levine as our manager? Ooh, shudder. Or are we having him as our defender in our angry 11? Um, because if we have him as our defender, that leaves space for Malafiev to be the manager, if we want. Or um, Jeffries. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, Jim and Billy. We have co-managers here and just kind of add people to this. I used to be on the bench loads and we used to just say it was a tag team. So, like, Billy would go out and just shout abuse at the linesman. And then they told him to go sit down. So he'd go and just tag, tag the gaffer in and the gaffer would come charging out, <laughs> abusing him. And then they'd tell him to go in. Next, Lockie would go out. Um, why have I got this vision of the Bushwhackers and the old WWF when it was called that as Jim and Billy? The kind of tag team with a 
the way that they want. Someone out there has got to be able... There's so many talented people with the whole photo and clip art and all that. Clip art. That's like 1990. Clip or whatever. Art. <laughs> clip art. I don't know what it's called. I don't, I'm not involved in all that nonsense. Oh, Jesus. Um, there must be people that can put Jim and Billy's heads on the bushwhackers' bodies. I don't know, I'm too busy sort of playing Minesweeper at the moment. Fucking what? Clip art. <laughs> That's an old school one, is it not? That's basic. <laughs> uh, what about this one? Uh, <laughs> What? Billy Kay says Paul Hartley had a wee temper in him. Oh, he did. Mm-hmm. He did. Yeah. Ryan, I don't know if you've heard. I don't know if you've heard this this story. I've told it. I'll tell it quickly because I've told it a few times. Um, when I was at Radio Fourth, and Hartley asked me um, after a press conference one day if um, I could get him um, M people tickets because he had a thing for Heather Small. He never wanted <laughs> his teammates to find out. Uh, but oh, really? I got a jersey. I got a jersey out of it. But I mean, there must be. There must be some eclectic musical tastes among some of the players that you've played with. <laughs> oh, there's, some, there's been some bad uh, DJs in the, before the game. I'm trying to think of who was. Danny Granger wasn't what? the greatest. Granny Danger. <laughs> Danny Granger. <laughs> What's the Go deal on. for for who, who gets to choose and who's in charge? How how did that work in the changing room before games? Who gets to charge from the cassette player and the, the boombox? Yeah, it just used to be. It would just depend on who who sort of had reasonably good music and put it on the iPod for the for the speaker in the change rooms. I've been in change rooms where everyone gets to sort of put two songs in, and you get a big sort of like forty odd playlist. But I actually think it might have been Danny Granger that was in charge when when I was playing. I'm trying See, to think. We used to always have a song that sort of was played, and you you knew that you were close to either going to warm up or. And that was the kind of go time sort of song. It was a good song. I can't remember. See in the dressing room here, we've got like, because you can kind of hear it, especially during COVID, you could hear it like the heart's dressing room basically had kind of dance music at full blast. And it's all about getting the adrenaline pumping before they have to go out. Are dressing rooms similar to that? And like, for instance, just now in Q8, is it that same sort of atmosphere before games? No, totally different in Q8. We have a lot of boys that pray. Obviously, with um, being Muslim, yeah, so they do yeah. a lot of a lot of prayer, and um, we have like a sort of a big section in the in the changing room. So that they'll kind of go do do that, but then we get in like a big huddle in the inside the change room, and they they have like a little chant that they do before the game. That sort of like that obviously gets them pumped up, but it just varies really. It, you kind of get that sort of like Temps always used to play sort of like the happy hardcore Glasgow little Ned songs that he used to always want to be played on. But yeah, I think it just depends. A lot of it's a bit of everything. It, uh, national team is all like Aussie songs um, for us. But like men, men, and men at work. Yeah. yeah. It's good. It's actually, it's really good. And, yeah, actually, that's um, stereotypical. Come on. Come really? on. Yeah, it is. I swear, I'll take a video next time it comes on if I'm in the squad. Um, and it's just, yeah, and we just play like all Aussie Aussie tunes that come out to a Crocodile Dundee theme tune and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to think of other songs that we that we played. Not Kylie Minogue's as such. Home but, and away. Um, <laughs> nah, not like that. No, neighbors. Angry Anderson. <laughs> Suddenly you're feeling me just the way I am. From Scott and Charlene's wedding. You play that before no. Australia games? None of that. But um, yeah, so it's just it, it does vary. It depends, sort of either who's the loudest or who's the bravest to put their their songs on because you used to 
some of the boys that obviously had this. So I had it tonight, actually. I was going through my playlist on Deezer, and the next song that came up was um, Mary Had a Little Lamb. <laughs> so I obviously downloaded that <laughs> song. <laughs> For Millie, so I'm glad I didn't put my song on because we go from Happy Hardcore to <laughs> Mary Had a Little Lamb. So it would, you'd yeah. have to have an actual proper playlist to, to be brave enough to put it on. Here's what here's one for you. Um, <laughs> having you as part of our podcast is great. And I think part of um, of doing this kind of thing is taking people somewhere they can't normally get, so inside a changing room. Can you remember, I know this is a tough question, but can you remember prior to the cup final in 2012, the kind of songs, uh, it was a loud dressing room prior to the cup final against Hibs or, or what songs were played? Take us inside that dressing room for, for pretty much everybody listening who wasn't there. Uh, it was Paolo was so big on just keeping everything the same. So it was the same sort of, like I said, the same playlist, the same songs. We just just try to keep that bubble of it's another game, but we all know it's not a game as much as we can in in terms of our preparation. Um, like there was a big thing on, you know, not going away the week before and escaping it, which I thought was a good idea because it made you realise how big and how important the game was if anyone was dumb enough not to realise that. But yeah, we, we were just very focused, but at the same time, it was as loud as normal, a lot of jokes, a lot of banter. I remember um, Blackie was sick before, like a few boys were really nervous um, before the game. And I'm sure Jammer said last week that he yeah. was sick before the game. I was really nervous in the warm up. I didn't have a particularly great warm up. And I remember just thinking, fuck, like, I hope I'm not lethargic and I hope I'm up for it because you don't want to, you hear all those stories of, you know, you played the game before you played the game and just trying to focus on, you know, doing what I normally do uh, before a big game and, and that's give the ball away in possession and then try and win it back in those stupid possession games that you play before a game. But um, yeah, I remember before we went into the tunnel, that that's the other thing for these sort of big games is, you're in the tunnel or you're in the change rooms before a big game and everyone's pumped up and you're flying and you just want to rip heads off. And then you go out and you stand for three or four minutes next to your opposition. And then you wander out and you're standing for another couple of minutes. And then captains do the coin. Top. Do you know I mean? It's maybe five or six minutes since you've, yeah. you've had that sort of buzz. And um, I remember sort of in the under 19s room, you just run, you know, we'd be all flying off the walls and bashing into each other and you just go straight into the pitch two minutes later it was kickoff whereas as you sort of move up the levels you have the sort of protocols that you need to go through before a game but I just remember that everyone I remember before the game in the change rooms just thinking we're going to win this game everything was everything was good there was no distractions everyone knew their job we had a pretty settled team and it was just sort of business as usual and and knowing that we've put everything during that week into succeeding at the for the game. I don't know how Mark managed to move this on to, to music in the dressing room. But he did. Dude, see? That's see, the, see the abuse that I get in this WhatsApp <laughs> chat and then stupid questions. But look what they lead to. Who would have thought that Heather Small and M People and Paul Hartley would have led to Mary had a little lamb following hardcore dance music, which nearly <laughs> got played in a in a dressing room. See, Dan yeah. it's not how you start, son. It's how you finish. Anyway, let's move on. Before we go, let's oh, talk about, about Hearts Against Livingston this weekend. Yeah, yeah look, yeah. time time is a wasting. So he's in Kuwait by himself. He's got nothing to do. I mean, people have to listen to this shit. Come on. Well, we could do another two-parter. 
no, no. Here, I, you don't have to edit it. Two parters are a lot of work, okay? Um, oh, oh, I've got to deal with oh. all these. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, Hearts against Livingston at Tyne Castle. Livingston, who just got their first league win of the season against Celtic last week. Uh, they did lose 2 0 at Ibrox in the League Cup uh, midweek and they have failed to score in the last four away matches. However, although Hearts certainly have had a positive start to the season, it is just one win in five for Robin Nielsen's side. So I do feel, Mark, that this is a game where Hearts should be going in and looking to take the game by the scruff of the neck. And I think we do need to get three points here. That's burst our bubble. One win in five. Are we not? I know. I know. I think. I think we, we have to. We have to see both sides of the story. Like, I mean, yes, I know. Just context. I, 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 Livingston were all right. I thought they were decent against a, a, a Celtic side that haven't won away from home since Anton Rogan was playing for them. Um, <laughs> but they they seem to be they seem to be the sum of their parts. Livingston. They they've got this work ethic under Martin Dale that we've seen under many Livy teams since they first came into the top flight, I think, in 2002, and that they're a bastard to play against at times. So we're going to have to be up for a scrap. Um, We can play, hopefully, some nice football, but I think the opposite of what we're now doing this season was was the case last season. We started games poorly last season. We started games slowly, and it's it's been pleasing to see that we're, we're kind of taking the game by the scruff of the neck. Interested in his team selection. I think the effervescence and the energy of Cammy Devlin could be useful in this one. I think you'll see a little bit more protection for the defence, whether he goes three or whether he goes four. That may depend if Michael Smith comes back. But I'll be really disappointed if we don't get anything but three points in this one. Team-wise, Ryan, I'm hoping from my perspective that we kind of return to the 3-4-3 that has served us well. Would Would you make much changes to that? Would you like to see them return to that? What, what do you fancy seeing in the starting lineup? and does Cami Devlin get into that 11 for you? Being slightly biased, I'd like to see him play, but that's just because I know how eager he is to, to get going and um, play some minutes, but I think the majority, I think Hearts now, which is good and, and it's what sort of fans want, is you could probably pick nine, eight players that are going to play. That's maybe just a couple that can sort of flitter in and out and then you have a couple that if they don't, you know, this is maybe their last week that they need to do something and then you can bring in their replacement. I think a lot of fans like that sort of team where you can you can basically pick nine of the starting 11 and then it's just different games, different horses for courses that you can tweak a couple. But I definitely, like you said, it's, it's a game where you need to be on the front foot, especially against Livingston. You know, you don't want them dictating the game. You don't want them picking up second balls and you don't want it to become a battle. So I think you really have to, Make sure that you know your ball players, which I'm going to throw Cami into that, get on the ball and start the attacks, and you can just put sustained pressure on Livingston. And I think that obviously then lifts the crowd. You know, everyone will be going to Tyne Castle expecting Hearts to beat Livingston, and, and you want from the get go get Livingston into the box defending and and just put continued pressure on. And um, you know, hopefully in the coming weeks you can see that that's sort of Cami's game. And Robbie's touched on it before. As soon as they lose the ball. Um, you know he's very good at either intercepting or, or winning it back. Um, just has that knack of so, similar to to Big Benny in terms of you know sort of just nicking the ball when he shouldn't really get it, and, and then being able to, to get on the attack. And I think if Hearts can keep Livingston in their in their own half for you know long periods of time, then they've got the players that can score the goals. 
in terms of scoring the goals, Mark, if Hearts do return to a 3-4-3, who is your front three? Because, you know, Liam Boyce, I think, is has got to be in there if it's going to be a front three. Um, but we've had Barry Mackay, who looked, I thought, impressive for his first start against Ross County, albeit he probably should have um, done better with the chance he came through on goal. We've seen Woodburn in there. We've seen Gary Mackay-Steven. We've seen Ginelli. Armong Nongdwie got his first hmm. start. Who's your front three? Gary Mackay-Steven is a conundrum because there have been times I think he's unplayable and there are times I think he shouldn't be playing with his performance. Um, it depends It depends what you get because he can be a match winner, but there are times, most of the games so far this season, we've, we've seen him subbed. I'd like to see Ben Woodburn in a more central position where he can have more of a an influence, maybe playing off um, Boyce. Does he go with Nondrier again, leading the line with, with Boyce in behind? Why why don't we go with Nondrier up top with Boyce and Woodburn in behind? So we're not going for the same width. I'm hoping for the, the wide kind of midfielders to, to produce that. So that, that's what I'm going for. I'm going for Boyce and um, ben Woodburn playing just in behind Nondwee and Gary mckay Stephen to come in off off the bench. That that's my kind of left field selection this week. What about you two? So what's your f- what's the overall formation and the rest of this, the selection? I'll probably stick with 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 three four three um, because I think if we're playing something like last week, um, we, we've we've just got to provide a bit more protection because if Ross County, who I think are, are one of the poorer teams in the league, can exploit. Then I'm sure someone like Livingston could could do so as well. So I'll probably go three four three, but my two holders in front of the back three would be Beningami and um, and Cami Devlin. So yeah, I, I don't know where I'm playing. This is the whole thing, and Ryan can maybe help here. What is Barry Mackay's best position? Because I don't I don't want him missing out. Um, but where am I playing him? I'm not too sure. I've not seen much of him. Recently, I thought he was impressed when he came on against Hibs, was it? And he sort of played in that 10 inside forward yeah. position. Yeah, off the left a little um, bit, wasn't it? That's, yeah. that's another option, isn't it? You could play Boyce right up top and Woodburn and Mackay directly in behind with Beningamy Some, yeah. and Cammy Devlin. Sometimes you're just trying to think what Livingston would do. Livingston would probably prefer everything being the width of the 18 yard box. You know, you might need to try and stretch them out a little bit more and play sort of out-and-out wingers. Um, We're going to need creative players, aren't we? Because they're, they're not going to come and, and, and go gung-ho. They're going to be like, okay, break us down, like so many teams did last season, and that's where we struggled. So we need creativity. But if I'm a, if I'm a centre-back for Livingston, and I know that you've got Boyce up front on his own, so that's your two centre-backs taken care of, and then if you've got two sort of in behind, you can tell your full-backs... Again, you're sort of the width of the box and they can just go out to them. It then hearts then need to have either their midfielders or fullbacks who get up and get behind, you know, that one. So ideally you want Woodburn on the ball, running at the right back with Smith or whoever it is on the right, making an overlap to to double up. You need those double up options on either side to to stretch it and then create that room in the middle. So the only problem I can see is if it goes too sort of centralised is that you don't have that width for the balls into the box and and it can just become those, you need that perfect pass, that perfect through ball on the, from the edge of the box, which can sometimes be difficult. Well, I think creativity is going to be the key because they went 4-5-1 at Ibrox. Mm-hmm. And if we can get their 
their their two full, but they played Devlin on the right and Penrice on the left at Ibrox. If if we can keep their full, as Ryan was saying, keep their fullbacks occupied, but in a wide area, that would be. I mean, I'm trying to think on my feet as we go along here. Um, but if if we're playing that three four three, I don't want to go back to the the kind of three attackers with the seven so-called defensive players, and there's a danger of doing that. Um, so that I just. I wonder if it's a diamond in midfield, if it's a, a, a three up top, if it's two up top with, with one behind. Because if they're not going to be content or if they're going to, not going to be concerned with with attacking, there's just going to be a wall of, of bodies there. So we need to find the best way. We need quicker passing, um, sharper passing in and around the box and, and good movements got to help. But I'm going to go for a, I'm going to go for a wacky outsider to score. I know he's only got one this season. Um, John Souter, I think, um, might, might get a rare goal. Uh, at least he scored um, in the, the kind of recent future, unlike a certain guest of ours who hasn't scored since the 11th of October 2019 in a 3-2 away win at Adelaide United, which I believe was his last goal for any team. Is that correct, McGowan? Scored in training a couple of times, but in a competitive <laughs> game, that would be... Uh, my, my big thing that I said last season was four of my shots made save of the week in Australia. <laughs> So, te- I, in my head, I scored four last year because the goalies just pulled off saves that they've never pulled off in their oh, life. So I should have. Are, had are we doing that? Four are we doing that? Are we? When, I mean, when you're uh, a player that, of my caliber, that's what you need to cling on to. Is, is that, that how Pelly scored, scored as many goals as he has? He's counting <laughs> ones that he scored in training and in his yeah. dreams. Yeah. Um, before that, by the way, do you remember your last goal prior to that winner at Adelaide? Mm. Mm, possibly I didn't think I scored was it Dundee United against Inverness no 15th of June 2016 China Henan Song Sang Long Men you got the winner against Yan Bian Funde that was a great goal that was that was actually that was actually a really good goal played a no one would believe this I only actually find the video it was like a one-two volley on the edge of the box top corner right. I'm gonna, we're going to find it and if we do you think was it, was it live on TV across China for the billions to watch yeah goal of the week I'm sure it was the only thing is I don't actually think it's good quality um, I'm going to find it that's yeah. no goal was great quality <laughs> the cameraman was poor but I'm going to I'm searching for it now I'm going to find it oh my right. I'm not going to I'm not going to hover here while you two search for this goal we can we can find Mike. it we can find it and we'll share it on social media if you do find it. But we're we're going to have to go because we've we've been dallying. Uh, but if we do find Dally this, and Wanda, they're a Chinese side. Did you score against them? <laughs> if, we, if we find this goal, I'll share it on the scarves around the Twitter account, which you can contact. Scarves around the Twitter. Scarves. Is that what I said? Oh, yes. Jesus. Scarves around the Twitter. <laughs> Fucking oh, oh my god scarves around the funnel which is at around the funnel you can email that <laughs> i can't even i just want to say it now podcast at scarves around the funnel.co.uk um McGowan's just messaged me saying this is his last choice he can't handle this every week <laughs> so thank you for tuning in yes, we'll be back thank you next week to no you coming back you. ryan you, you, you coming back Yes, I would love to come back. It's been yeah, good. so good. It's good talking yeah. to Charlotte, actually. Yeah, no, it was, it, was, insight. it was really good chatting with Charlotte. We'll um, 
hopefully get some more players from the women's team maybe on the, the show as we as we go along. But we'll have Ryan on next week to talk about hopefully Hart's big victory against Livingston and whatever else might come up in that time. Right, Thanks we'll be guys. back next week. No worries. Right, speak to you soon. Cheers. Bye-bye. Well. Bye.